It's June 2019. At the end of his first year at Bristol University, Jamie Saul sat down with a friend and told him he was going to start a theatre company. He wanted to direct a show and needed some kind hearts and helping hands to bring it to life. By July, Minnie Cunningham and Daisy Game had joined the team to produce. By September, Tom Duggan, Jack Harding and Maddie Cross were on board to market the show, write its music and help direct. By December, that show, The Tempest, had been performed at the island in Bristol to sold-out audiences and rave reviews. Most importantly, it lit a spark within the team to create more. And so they did. Over the next year and a half, throughout the pandemic, Brave Mirror stayed strong, delivering a further three projects. A podcast of original monologues, a digital version of Antigone, and a new adaptation of Jane Eyre. When they graduated in June 2021, the team sat down and planned a further year of work, a season of new writing, which would culminate in The Sixth Heart. Written by Natalie Beddows, who joined Brave Mirror as a production assistant in 2020 and was now a resident artist. Over the next year, they would successfully apply for Arts Council funding, hire a team of 17 emerging artists from the Southwest to work on the project, deliver workshops and open rehearsals for the local community, and bring Natalie's script to life. Over the next five episodes, this podcast will tell the story of how they did it, featuring interviews with some of the cast and crew who were there for the whole ride. Brave Mirror presents Creating the Sixth Heart. Episode 1. In this first episode, Brave Mirror resident artist and writer of The Sixth Heart, Natalie Beddows, and cast member Bobby Buzzvine, who plays the narrator in the show, discuss adaptation, storytelling, narration, and creating a character. Hi, I'm Bobby. Um, I was an actor and played the narrator. Hi, I'm Natalie, and I was the writer and a producer on The Sixth Heart. Yeah, so Natalie, I'm interested because during the rehearsal process, you didn't tell me a lot, which was really, really good. You, I loved that you didn't sit there as like the fountain of all answers. But I am wondering, when you first conceived of having this character of the narrator who is straddling the fourth wall, what was your like intention with them? Um, so I think like from the start, I like always wanted to have a narrator and I didn't really know what I wanted the narrator to do exactly. But um. I knew that I wanted the narrator to kind of be on that line and like offer information that, you know, might not make sense or that you have to kind of like piece together throughout. And yeah, a lot of it came with writing, to be honest. I just kind of like wrote down a few ideas for what the character might be like. And then I just really played with it. And when I started writing, you know, little, little chunks of dialogue. When I had a drug carrier, I'd go anywhere. Do you good? There's no point. You can't get in. Yeah, that's that's what I definitely found in one sense the hardest thing, but also the most fun thing about this role was that they were such a kind of yeah, an ambivalent character in every sense of the word. Like their story wasn't immediately obvious. It also wasn't immediately obvious what their um, intentions were or what their actions that they were trying to achieve. So for me, this project was so fun to kind of play with this character who had such great um, way of being. And I loved the dialogue and how their sort of style was and how you really got this kind of cheeky sense of who they were. 
But what was difficult was how the narrator becomes and plays all these different roles to different people. And then it was like a journey of figuring out what the narrator's arc was, because it's so elusive and so hidden from all the other characters and from the audience, that it became about working out who is the narrator, who literally are they as a person. And it really helped me to actually think about just in terms of like, you know, narrators in general, like narratology and um, like the voice of narrators and this whole playing with this idea of an unreliable narrator, but then making that into like this physical character and thinking, how might the unreliable narrator think about being an unreliable narrator? And why are they doing that? He'll turn. <laughs> you don't know that. She's moaning. Are you joking? You can't know that. I know how this ends. Yeah, it was definitely interesting because after, you know, writing it, I was in a, not a weird space with it all, but I was just like, I've done that. So I'm, you know, interested to see what, everybody is going to do with their characters, how, you know, they responded to what the narrator said and the narrator's actions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I remember saying to you at one point, um, like asking you that very question, like, how does it feel to have written this whole thing? And then like offering that up to just, you know, to the actors to take control of and then to create their story. I just felt like it must have been a really, really cool and exciting feeling. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely new for me because I've written things before but I've never really written anything like this so putting it to everyone was really fun and I was just so excited to see how as I said everybody interpreted the story and to see it all like physically come alive. I tried to make sure like when I was writing that I didn't construct a complete character in my head I was like it's very much what's written down on the page and then you know in the rehearsal room it's very open and I think this is interesting when talking about the narrator's physicality and how you kind of played with that because I think you can read a bit of that in the script but I think it's what you built on top of that which is really what made him such a presence. Yeah funnily enough I played another narrator who was breaking the fourth wall literally earlier this year so when I did my audition I was kind of just like playing that sort of same narrator vibe which ended up being just a completely different thing to what this narrator emerged as being. And I really found, firstly, exactly as you say, thinking about their relationships to other characters and then relationship to the space was a huge one as well because and that's very much what dictated a lot of that physicality on, and, and those physical decisions because I wanted the narrator from very early on for this character to make sense for me in my head they needed to have this sort of slightly magical sense to them because I kind of just like saw them as something that almost was real and wasn't real at the same time which was the constant like conflicting dynamic which I felt like I was negotiating as that person was being a character in the story and also not being in the character in the story and that's why I kind of felt this need to make them a bit just stylized in the way they move and like almost glide about but also then when it came to it I changed that up quite a lot I think I had to do that journey to then come into a place where I really like understood in the space how they walked and how they were and it became much more solid so then I could relax more and still keep this kind of really free-flowing style with a bit more solidness and groundedness to it. It was actually that one rehearsal where we sat down I think the task was 
you had to write down three sort of things and everybody did their character's backstory. And I remember you coming up with the narrator's backstory, um, which was incredible. And I purposefully left things unsaid because I wanted it to be ambiguous and people to ask questions. So it was just so interesting and fun to hear people like making another story from it. Oh my God, yeah. It was just like a really kind of fun, creative way of trying to conceive of why the narrator had this relationship with the Count that to me had to feel like there was a lot of history there. There had to be a lot of love there, but also have that relationship that produces this real conflict and this hatred. That was the key thing for the narrator, I realised, was synonymous with them being attached to the story was them being attached for whatever reason almost bound to the count so I realized it had to be some kind of familial link so I just thought in some loose sense maybe they're like stepbrothers or like cousins or something something like that where they're kind of bound together for some reason but then also like this love-hate thing which really dictates like why the narrator couldn't leave the story which is what I decided on as being my arc. You left her alone again. And where have you been? I don't know how it should go. She wants to dance, you know. She's better to talk about something. Oh, I'm no good at that. Which is why, you know, then with them taking that action to kill the Count, I think this was a really exciting thing that happened, actually, in the very last phases. You know, literally, as we had already done I think our first show maybe I was really struggling with the moment of killing the count because I knew how much of a big deal that was for my character because of the relationship that had developed with Ariane Ariane for me coming to represent the way out and then it kind of became this like conversation almost through our eye contact that was about me almost pleading to not have to take that step to kill the Count. And it became that moment of transformation then when the narrator decided to almost kill their worst part and experience the freedom then because Ariane had inspired that from within them. And I think it was like we almost said to ourselves, oh, maybe it should have been Ariane that killed the Count. But then for me, it made so much sense that it was the narrator because it is about them building up the courage to change this broken narrative. Off that, I think I tried with the narrator's dialogue to, like, give them rhetorical patterns to kind of reinforce the, like, you know, intervening with other people. So, like, in the way that he ends his sentences, you know, in particular with the scenes with Ariane, but also searching for verbal confirmation. I want to keep you on guard, That's actually really interesting because, like, another thing I found initially quite difficult was the fact that a lot of the narrator lines, as you say, had this kind of repetitiveness to them and also felt so insincere at points in terms of their tactic for attempting to get what they want was to be very menacing and and trickstery to the point where it was really like, oh God, but like who, like what do they actually feel then? And then why are they using these rhetorical devices? And I think you're right in saying it was about probing this thing out of Ariane and it became this like test. That showed me that what my character was experiencing in that moment was a splitting of themselves almost, 
coming out of their old self and shifting into this new self and it manifesting in the way that the lines worked and the thoughts worked. And then you get that moment at the end where they're genuine and they just killed the count and they come to Ariane and it's like, are you all right? It's like the first actual question that's ever asked almost. And um, yeah, I thought that was so fun to play with, just the, the fragmented speaking being completely know reflection of that internal journey yeah so like you were making changes to the script as we were going along in rehearsals if something didn't work or if a line didn't quite fit you know, we had the freedom of being able to kind of slightly change it up and edit it. Were there bits that you were like, no, this has to stay, or this bit can change? You know, yeah, how did, it, how did that kind of feel for you? I went in knowing that we would change bits of it. I'd say there was one thing that has stayed the same ever since I was, like, happy with that bit, and that was the party scene, because, you know, we did that in the R&D. That scene is probably my favourite scene, and that hasn't really changed apart from where it's been in the script. It's It's flown, like, all over the place yeah it's the scene where they're all on stage and you're first getting a sense of all this tension between all of the characters for the first time it was easy to love and now my love is dead so. be careful what you say you're drunk yeah love is different now my love is stolen from me by a selfish villain who doesn't feel for others we went in knowing that we would change bits and i think you know the we only made small changes, really, but the changes that we did make, I think, you know, made a big difference. Mm -mm. And it wasn't even, you know, changes to the actual script itself. But as I say, it's it was this kind of collective working out bits of the story all on our own and then bringing that to the table. Because so much of this play was about what wasn't said. And that's like so the point of it. It became all about working out the narrative underneath the lines and where all those different stories kind of intercepted each other. I really enjoyed writing the dialogue because, fun fact, I don't really like writing dialogue at all. <laughs> so this was really fun because I really got to play with it and I was like, I can be so weird and no one's going to judge me. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It was really, really fun to write, particularly the narrator's monologues, because initially, in like many drafts back, they weren't there. I was only going to have the one, which would have been about in the middle. But I'm really glad that I kind of overlaid them with the duty scenes because I tried to pinpoint, you know, each one of those as like a different emotion or whatever, like something has changed in each one. I don't know, I just loved that process and looking for the little story in each individual one. <laughs> I didn't want to see her. I didn't want to see anything. <laughs> it can't be ignored anymore. Things have to change because the seasons change. It was really interesting because, yeah, those monologues as well, because then they're, they're essentially when the narrator was alone with the audience, it became very much like this was the time that the narrator was as close as they came to being honest with themselves 
and with the audience. And it was very much the sense of self-consciousness. I think the relationship with the audience, which was something that we chatted about quite a lot over the rehearsal period, I realised that like the narrator is really intimidated of the audience. It's almost like a caged animal watching all the people at the zoo coming and, you know, watching him. And like, that's literally almost how how it started feeling for me. And it was what I used to track the emotional development and the the internal story that I was trying to tell. Yeah, talking about like monologues, it was where the narrator kind of had so much of a character in themselves. And how did you feel about that being very different from the from Bluebeard the story? Because that felt like kind of the thing that made it not just telling a story of Bluebeard. It was a thing that made it a play as opposed to literally a retelling of a fairy tale. Yeah. So like I've always been a big fan of fairy tales and myths. And I, I don't know why, but I really like the ones that, you know, have explicit violence and explicit sex in because they're so horrible that that's what draws me to them. I think it's just really interesting to write about them in in different ways. And like my favourite fairy tale writer is Angela Carter. I mean, obviously she was in Bristol for a bit and she did a Bluebeard retelling. Did you notice then when it came on its feet and stopped being like a script, which is almost in a way similar to the same way you're still writing down the story. Do you think that kind of changed things even more? Yeah, definitely. I think one thing I was always set on exploring was the archetypes of the story. And, you know, I wanted to play with those and change them and, you know, make something else, which not only comes, you know, in the writing, but also, as you say, bringing it into the space and putting it on its feet. So I think it's like a, a combination of both things. Mm-mm. I did really feel like what I found really fun was that we were playing with archetypes. And obviously the whole thing about archetypes is they're these generalizations and, and so much fairy tales is very much that. And then I suppose what does make it very distinct and different is that a play has to have real and tangible characters. And it moves very much away from that kind of archetypal fairy tale feeling where it's not just about you know the heroine who is who is obviously representative of a lot of things they all become real people who have to have motivations that aren't just there to be symbolic or archetypal yeah so on top of that I'm also really interested in the endings of these things because for example the um, Bluebeard fairy tale the Charles Perrault one at the ending of that Bluebeard's wife is saved by her two brothers who come riding in on their horses and then they dramatically slice his head off. <laughs> and I've read loads of different adaptations and I was like, well, I want to do my own ending and change the story in that way. So I'm really drawn to that as well. And I think coming back to the monologue thing and the narrator as a storyteller, taking on the traditional omniscient voice that all these fairy tales have. And as you were saying, Bobby, making that into a physical character, which then has actions and consequences, is really interesting. And that was just so fun to play with, the way that things have been written originally and to make something new and something theatrical. Creating the Sixth Heart was a Brave Mirror production. Produced by Jack Harding, Jamie Saul, and Thomas Duggan. Edited by Jack Harding, with original music from The Sixth Heart, composed by Jack Harding, and hosted by me, Charlie Nye. 
Sixth Heart was written by Natalie Beddows. Both the show and this podcast are supported with public funds from Arts Council England. For more information about the show, visit our website, bravemirror.com, or follow us on social media at Brave Mirror UK. Thank you.